where you think about we all we all know those leaders no matter what type of occupation you're in where you're like that person is tactically brilliant but boy they don't know how to talk to people they have no bedside manners welcome to the triple p podcast premier professional and proactive brought to you by the ohio fire chiefs association i'm your host clayton o'brien and i'm the fire chief for the city of oregon welcome to the triple p podcast Today, we have Deputy Assistant Chief Frank Lieb, who has served at the FDNY since 1992. He is a Chief of Safety for the FDNY's 17,000 employees. His previous staff positions include the Chief of Training and the Chief of the Fire Academy. He holds a bachelor's degree in Fire Service Administration from the SUNY Empire State and a master's degree in Security Studies from the Naval Postgraduate School, Center for the Homeland Defense and Security. Frank has been a member of FDNY since 1992. He's also been a member of the East Farmingdale Fire Department since 1983 in Long Island, New York. He was a keynote speaker for Firehouse Expo in 2022 and was a presenter at the 2022 and 2023 U.S. Fire Administrator Summit on Fire Prevention and Control. Um, that's just a little bio about Frank, um, but what I, I actually wanted to just put a part of where, where I got to know him, and that was through his, uh, through his book. And so I'm just going to add a little bit that uh, Chief Frank Lieb is also a best-selling author who has written a book uh, titled Cornerstones to Leadership on and off the fire ground. And, um, and I'll tell you, Chief, that, uh, that book is uh, pretty awesome. And I know that since the book came out, was, um, you know, you've probably been getting hit up a lot about a lot of different things, but you have a lot of good stories to tell in there. So, Well, thanks for having me. And it's been quite a humbling experience since the book came out. It's only out like two months now. And just the feedback that I've been getting and the support that it's been getting has been, uh, has been humbling. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had some people that do, that have been trying to push me to write a book for quite some time. And then after I did the after I did the keynote, which happened to be in Ohio, right, in, in Columbus as part of Firehouse Expo, um, there were more people that were telling me, you got to write a book based on your keynote. And, you know, I thought about it. And uh, and then the next thing you know, I, I just I started writing and, uh, you know, uh, and here we are. The, we, the goal was to release it on the one year anniversary of of the keynote address. And I had some people that sent me some other podcasts and they sent me some some books and were like, this book should be similar to this. And so I kind of modeled it off of uh, Make Your Bed uh, and Wisdom of the Bullfrog from Admiral McRaven. Um, and, you know, it, those are leadership books that focus on military stories because his stories are military stories. And I have some pretty unique stories of my career, my 31 years uh, plus in the FDNY and 40 plus years as a volunteer firefighter as well. So, um, you know, I was happy with the results of the book, but you never know how what, what other people are going to think about it until until they start reading it and, uh, and give you some feedback. And it's just been it's just been remarkable. Well, I, I bet. And, you know, you kind of you, you touched on that a little bit. You, you wonder how it's going to be received. It's always uh, kind of that uh, unknown when you're when you're first writing it. But uh, when you're in the situation of being able to write a book or the thought of writing a book, there's so many people that are, I guess, in the fire service or any any job that they have or any careers or or life stories who say, hey, you should write a book. Um, how was that process? Was it uh, would you say it was pretty daunting or you know it, yeah so i mean it was it was fun because the, the keynote address was roughly 40 minutes long 
So it was pretty long. So I had a pretty good chunk of material to kind of build off of and build it out. So that was certainly um, a big help. And it was really, we wound up changing the name. My son was like, it's really because it was cornerstones of success training teamwork initially. And he's like, this is really how, you know, my son's like, this is your leadership foundation. This was what guided you in your career to be the leader you are today, right? And all these stories were seminal moments in the process. And that's really, and it wasn't until he kind of distilled that out and said that, we're like, all right, that, that makes sense. And um, I just had some really cool stories to, to go with some of those leadership lessons. And I've been blessed both in my volunteer department and in the FDNY. I've had so many instrumental leaders that have been, especially when I look in, in hindsight, that the decisions that some of these people made and, and the leadership philosophies that they have, I've just pulled in um, and, and become a little bit of each of them. And that's become, that's become my style. And the book doesn't tell you how to stretch a hose line. It doesn't tell you how to force a door. There's plenty of books out there that tell you how to do that. This focuses so much more on the soft skills, on how to deal with people. Um, where you think about, we all, we all know those leaders, no matter what type of occupation you're in, where you're like, that person's tactically brilliant, but boy, they don't know how to talk to people. They have no bedside manners. And therefore, they don't become that complete leader. And in fact, I know plenty of tactically proficient people that are excellent and nobody follows them because they don't want to be around them. So. A really good leader and an exceptionally good leader or an inspirational leadership, you know, leader. And I say like it's enthusiastic leadership, um, which. It's contagious. If you surround yourself with people that are like-minded in, in that regard, you could do anything. You surround yourself with people that, that, that care and anything's possible. Yeah, I, you know, there's there's so many things that I took away from the book already, um, and we're going to get into those. I want to talk a little bit about, uh, before we, we start hitting on the book majorly, I want to talk about what your inspiration was to get into the fire department. I know it says that you started as a volunteer, which many of us are, are very familiar with familiar with that type of model in, in Ohio as well. And, um, you know, maybe starting as a volunteer first, I know I did, and I know many others that did as well. And then moving into, um, you know, like in, in example for myself was my dad was a volunteer. So that's kind of where, where I started and then got into it. I, you know, you're running on those calls and, and in your book, you talk about your brother, Bobby and hell, maybe that was the inspiration. I think we, we owe it to, to just have a little conversation about Bobby. Yeah, and thank you for that. So when, when I was seven, my brother Bobby was 17, and he joined East Farmingdale Volunteer Fire Department. I never had a chance to do anything else. I, I've, I've always wanted to be a firefighter. I loved going there. He was um, he was my role model. Everything, I just wanted to be with him and around him and at the firehouse, and he would take me up there. Um, there was a brief time I wanted to be a digger man, right, because they were ripping up my street growing up around that same time. And I was the only one that was happy that these big trucks were ripping up, these excavators were ripping up my street. We had to park the cars, uh, you know, on another street. And um, and the, the guy that was in the uh, bucket loader, I, I'll never forget, he took me for a ride in the truck and he's like, come on in. And I think about that when people visit the firehouse, like how we hook on uh, the young, the, the next generation into wanting to be what we, what we do. And I remember that memory um, all these years later of how cool that was. We just went around the block in the truck, but, you know, and then, the, but that had no chance when it was compared to the fire service. 
And uh, so that's my earliest memories is, is around the firehouse. And then when I was old enough, I joined the junior fire department. And then when I was 17, joined the senior fire department. And I just been a part of it. And, and now the FDNY. And it's been I'm still a member of the volunteer fire department as well. And it's just been it's just been quite a journey. And all the lessons right? You, in your volunteer service, you think about those early years all these people that do other things for a living and they, how hard they work and you're exposed to these professions and how other people deal with people. And there's so many life lessons that you learn at such a young age, um, especially when you look back, like I said, and you, you look at it and you say, wow, um, I learned so much from those, from those early uh, mentors in, in my volunteer fire service. Career. You know, I couldn't agree anymore. Um, you know, the department that I'm a part of now and the previous department before was uh, uh, both combination departments. I'm a huge fan of combination departments because I believe it, it it offers that versatile that you just talked about. The 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 individuals that have a completely different career outside the fire department, but bring so many good, you know, assets, you know, different viewpoints and different perspectives uh, within the firehouse. So, um, you know, I, I look back to the early days of the volunteer service. And, and you're right, you know, we were at that time, I was doing construction, you know, doing concrete and then going to runs at nighttime and on the weekends. And you just have a different understanding and a balance and a more of appreciation, you know, for those individuals. So, um, absolutely, absolutely. Yep. Uh, so yeah, I, I definitely wanted to touch about, uh, you know, about your brother, Bobby. I knew he was a big inspiration for you. Um, just as well as like how my dad was, you know, I mean, I knew I probably wanted to be a part of the fire department, didn't know what to capacity, but knew it was going to be a thing. So, um, one of the other things though, is, is, uh, maybe off before we started, you know, the conversation here, uh, we talked a little bit about your relationship with Ohio as, as far as that it's, it's, fully it's more expanded than just the firehouse expo doing in 2022 um you had some other relationships within ohio uh with sydney or beaver creek and the ul uh could you could you tell us about that yeah so it's um and it's funny like you say what the heartland of america the the is ohio right so i wind up teaching in ohio frequently but my relationship to ohio goes back really to um, the weeks following September 11th, when the third grade teacher from um, Valley Elementary School in Beaver Creek, Ohio, um, reached out to my firehouse, directly to my firehouse. She had gotten a friend of a friend had said, hey, here's an address to a firehouse. And they mailed stuff directly to the firehouse. And at first it was a bunch of letters from the children. And they said, we're adopting your firehouse. I was like, that's cool. Part For me, part of the therapy was all these kids from all around the country were were writing letters. And when we were down at the trade center site following September 11th, um, I would read them and I would start taking them back to the firehouse. And on my off tour, I would respond to them. And I responded to well over a thousand um, letters that I would mail. Eventually, we took a picture of our fire truck in front of, at the time it was Shea Stadium where the Mets played. And they had a big American flag there. We took a picture of the rig. We blew them up into um, uh, eight by sevens or, or, or eight by elevens. I mean, and uh, I would put a stack of them, of, like a couple hundred of them on the table and ask the firefighters to sign them. And we, I would mail one of those to every child that we would, we'd reply back to. And it was really like a therapy. But this school went above and beyond. They would send um, all different, they would send Buckeye candy, right? But, and, and all just different things that were Ohio centric to our firehouse. Um, 
they even mailed they they even mailed fish at one point for us to cook and other and other stuff. It was just it was just a unique relationship, and we would reply back to them. Um, and then eventually, I would I called the school teacher and, and spoke to her. I spoke to this. I spoke to the students, all of the students in the class as well. Um, and then when we were done down at the trade center site um, in 2022, in, in 2002, um, a couple of us visited Beaver Creek and we presented a flag um, that was flown over the fire department command post to the Valley Elementary School. And they planted a tree, a 9-11 tree out in front of of their school. And we got to know them. They had a, a whole big assembly. It was really it was really it was really cool. Um, and I got to meet the Beaver Creek firefighters. Um, one of their firefighters, Dave Young, went on to be a battalion chief and he would come to New York and I'd go there a couple of times. He was instrumental in the Beaver Creek Memorial, the 9-11 Memorial. He came to New York and picked up the steel that they got for the memorial. Um, but the school teacher, Joanne Magano, every single year, including the year of, of, of those students in that initial class, I spoke to every student from 2002 forward on September, on the afternoon of September 11th to every single student that she had until she retired a couple of years ago. Um, now she's on the school board there. And at some point I'm gonna come back, I'm waiting for her, to, she's gonna get the approval because I wanna donate a copy of my book to the Valley Elementary School Library and to the public library because while I'm a New Yorker, uh, Ohio and particularly Beaver Creek and the Dayton area have, they're like an adopted, uh, an adopted home. And um, I really enjoy when I, when I go and teach there because just every, there's just so many people that, uh, like I said, the heartland of America, um, but the other fascinating thing, so at some point I'll be making a trip back to that area to do a presentation and hopefully get some of those students that are now you know, 25 years old that were in that initial third grade class because um, she was telling me like 15 or 16 of them still live in the area, which is pretty cool. Um, but that relationship that I developed with Dave Young and the Beaver Creek Fire Department, it was through that relationship when I told them, hey, I'm coming to I'm coming to the area or we're looking for places for uh, for UL to do burns. I was part of the UL acquired uh, structure study where we were doing garden style apartments. We were doing strip mall fires and private dwellings. So it was my relationship with Dave that put him in touch with UL, which was why we went to Beaver Creek for the private dwellings is why we went to Sydney for um for the strip malls and we went to i think it was fairborn for the strip malls as well um all in that local area but all of the departments uh were part of what we were doing there they would all come and be part of it when they needed a crew because they, they needed crews for extinguishment uh and for standby so all of that area was there and and i remember we were doing the burns in beaver creek and joanne the third grade teacher her son john who works um, who's a physician in the local hospital um, and her husband, they came to the burn and all these firefighters that I knew from Beaver Creek, from all that area, here we are with UL and Joanne. And I'm like, all of this because of the kindness of that third grade teacher and her class and her class. It was just, and, and the, the force multiplier effect that that had um, and continues to have. So, Dave Young has since retired as a battalion chief. The school teacher has retired, but those relationships that I formed with them and others in the department, they still continue and they have benefited the American Fire Service 
and and beyond for just for again that kindness of them reaching out and adopting uh, my fire my firehouse and um, I just visited them I dropped off a copy of the book to Joanne um, when I was in the area uh, recently I was there I was in the Cincinnati area recently for a blue card class and then I was there for firehouse expo so um, I, like I said I'm, I wind up being in Ohio uh, quite frequently. Wow, that's a that's a really amazing story, you know, and, and and not to mention, though, I think that, yeah, they may have reached out in the first place, but you could have been some old salty dog at the firehouse and saying, ah, you know, they just people send us stuff all the time. We're New York City firefighters, you know, they send us things all the time, patches, shirts, whatever, and ask for in return. But that wasn't the case. I mean, the case of the way the relationship that I, I viewed out of that story is, yes, they reached out and adopted your firehouse and they started they they reached out to start their relationship. But it did take the the sense of on your end to respond and to be a part of it and to interact and 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 I think that that's that the reason why I bring that up is because as as the fire service has changed over so many years sometimes we really you know uh, forget about these public education events and like we are the you know the heroes to the little kids and the ones that visit the house and go out and do those public education events I mean so impressionable on the on the uh, on the little uh, uh, men and women that, uh, you know, maybe want to be a firefighter someday. So um, I think there's a lot to be said about your return there. And, um, you know, those Sydney burns, uh, you know, I, when I was in Napoleon, uh, we sent, we sent uh, quite a few of our guys from Napoleon to those burns and, and they came back and they, they had so many good things to say about just the, uh, uh, the way that it was set up, the way that it was ran, but so many things that they had learned. And, and so I think that, uh, the chief, and I can't remember, he is retired now. Um, I want to say his name was, uh, uh, Brad, uh, but I can't remember what his last name was, but, uh, but he, he did very good at like the chief of Sydney did very good of, uh, coordinating to the entire area to Northwest Ohio to let us know that the burns were happening and to get all these other departments involved. So I thought I'd give that really big props. Yeah. And you're right. And I don't remember all the players names, but there were so many people within the organizations, within all of those organizations, they were all in. And I think they recognize because I certainly I knew that like Ohio is forever part of the of the history of the education um, of firefighters in a very significant way. One of the structures that we burned, I believe it was in Beaver Creek, but I don't remember. Um, we were burning that down and they were putting a new firehouse. They were putting a new state of the art firehouse on that property. So like. The significance of it, if you read if you read the UL report, it talks about the locations that we were in Ohio. And I was present for some of the burns that we did at Governor's Island in New York. New York City is forever part of those studies. And that's pretty cool to have said, I was there. I witnessed it. I saw how um, how in-depth this, this research is, how much they listen to the technical panel that's there. Um, and it's just something that uh, any of the people that were were there. I forget that. And some of the t times we were there, we were there in December. It was pretty cold. One of the times that we were there, but everybody was into it and did their job. And it was, it was really, um, it was an amazing experience and it has certainly impacted the, the fire service in a, in a, in a positive way. 
Yeah, I totally agree. It gives a, and it gives firefighters a different perspective, you know, and when they see all the research and studies that come out that, they, you know, in, in future studies as they go along in their career, because the guys that I sent are young firefighters. They were on the job maybe two or three years, um, and then maybe then down the road as new studies come out, then they realize what goes into it and then, um, you know, can really kind of adapt and, you know, because in the fire service sometimes we don't like change, but, uh, you know, when the when the studies happen, then there's no, no denying the fact actual information and, and maybe they and maybe they wind up being part of those panels and i know that like dave young wound up sitting on on uh, on the next panel and i think another member of that area is because that becomes again it's another force multiplier for the area is that now not only do you have people that have witnessed it but now you have people contributing to the to to the to the research and to and adding their collective knowledge to it which is really how how could you go wrong with uh with that but I, I want to circle back to one of the things you talked about, about the um, reaching out to the kids and, and doing that. And that like how this, the generation looks up to firefighters, right? That the young kids. And I, I always tell um, my people, it doesn't matter whether you're in the FDNY or whether you're in East Farmingdale or you're in Sydney or any other department, doesn't matter. Those for the FDNY, the FDNY on the back of our coat means so much more than just standing for the fire department in the city of New York. It means making sure that you're educating the next generation. We are always recruiting our next generation of firefighters in the way we act, in the way we conduct ourselves, where we let children get on the fire trucks, that we educate them, that now we, you know, you change the clocks, that we're educating our people. That we're always doing that. So be worthy. Always be worthy and know that people are looking for you, to look at to looking to you. And they may be the next people that come into our profession. But even if they aren't, be worthy and, and be respectful to those, to the people that are, that are coming in there. And um, I, I mean, that is not only with, with the, with the public, but if you're out there and you're speaking at conferences, you're representing your department, represent your department, represent yourself and do it in a, in a meaningful way um, that matters because it's so much bigger than any individual, than any one of us. Wow, that's a great message, Frank. I, I do appreciate that because I feel this. I feel the same way. I feel that uh, you know you you gotta really put in the efforts to to know that hey, we were at one point. I was that that little kid that I remember when my dad was a volunteer and he come into my preschool class and he's talking to us and we're all and all my friends are just in such awe because you know he's a firefighter. So um, you know, just thanks. I, I, I really appreciate the, uh, the expansion on that. So, um, let's, let's talk about your book. So the one thing I, I uh, wanted to touch base about on your book a little bit was the way that you, so when you, when you're looking for feedback for, of how the book was one is, I think it reads very, very easily. Um, I liked how it interjects stories and different things, but one of the things I took back away from that was the takeaways at the end of each chapter. That, that is awesome. That That is because you read through the chapter and there's so many things that happen in each of this chapter, but then you get to that takeaway. It's kind of like this summary things reinstills, you know, that, that information. And, um, and so I'm going to highlight a lot of the takeaways that you have out of your book today, and then just kind of have you expand upon them, uh, for, for everybody that's listening. But you know, when it, when I, when I stopped at the title, I stopped at the cornerstones of leadership on and off the fire ground. But there's three core values of that book that says teamwork or well, training, teamwork, and mentorship. 
And so um, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of stem off and start with like uh, the training portion and, um, and what training means to you. You were the, you were the chief of training um, at, at some point or the chief of the, the academy there. And so um, I want to, I want to just talk about, you know, one of the statements that you had made uh, within your book is how goes your training is how goes your department. And, um, and maybe just expand upon that. So training is first because training is the heart and soul of every organization on the planet. You, you know, it doesn't matter what, it doesn't, not even just the fire service, right? You, if you go into the supermarket and the clerk doesn't know how to use the cash register, well, the business shuts down. Every single thing, every single thing that that we do revolves around training and education. So, and the fire service is no different. What's different in the fire service is that that these are life and death decisions and and implications, right? So, um, so it is the heart and soul of our organization because we, if we don't know what we're doing, well, then it doesn't matter what what our operations are, right? And and safety, the position I'm in now, well, I'd really have my hands full if we have a, a bunch of firefighters that don't know what they're doing. Um, so it is the heart and soul of every organization, but for the fire service, it is incredibly. Uh, incredibly important which is why it's number one because without training without competency right so we can't even talk about soft skills if we're not talking about competency so it's all about the competency it's it's making sure that we should have that right that's to me competency should be a given and then we could talk about all the other stuff so that is the root of that is is the training is the training aspect but you mentioned the readability of the book the the print is a little bit bigger on purpose. It's not quite large print because it, we wanted to, you know, and when I say we, my son helped me with, with a lot of designs. He researched, you know, the most popular book sizes is six by nine. The most popular weight is, is a, a, just about a pound. It's one pound, two ounces to book. Um, white pages, the weight of the paper, like all these different things. And for me, I love having chapter takeaways at the end. And in books that don't, I wind up writing them in. So this way you don't have to write them in. I'm telling, here's the story and here's the, the best parts about, in, in my words, what they are. And then a recap at the end of the book of, of all of the, you know, there's five, there's five takeaways per chapter, um, which may, meant 125 takeaways. And then we added two bonus uh, takeaways for um, two people that uh, are incredible members of the FDNY that uh, have recently retired and, they live their life the FDNY way, which could be transferred to, to any department's way, to your way, to my way. Uh, it's just how you approach it, which is about your mindset, right? A winning mindset and, ha- and how you can approach that to, to best make your culture. In, in your organization, which I, so I have your book right here. And one of the things that uh, it's exactly right on the back that I always took away right when I picked up this book and I seen uh, for me, this book is about the FDNY way, but for you, this book is about the, your organization, whatever you can plug in, whatever your organization is their way. And, and I took a lot of, you know, now that it, now talking to you and we talked about the soft skills and we talked about those things. That's why it, it just kind of makes this whole, you know, completes the circle, if you will, you know, you could apply any of these things within the book to your own organization and create your own way. Because like you said earlier, is that you're grabbing from multiple different mentors or multiple different places that you're at. You're grabbing from East Farmingdale and FDNY and the different ones and creating a chief Frank Lee way, you know, type of way that's what's worked for you. And, and um, you know, so there's a lot to be said about that. I, 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 uh, I, 
couldn't agree with you more on the, the competency portion because in organizations, we have to set a standard. And, and uh, whatever standard, you know, whether it's a, um, that this, what, whatever that standard is established, then it's about maintaining that standard. So, and, and when we have a standard, we're trying to prepare for something. And what you talk about is preparing for the big game. And, um, and so I think sometimes uh, people uh, in the fire service uh, complacency uh, becomes a thing because, you know, there's not everybody runs as many calls as FDNY and or any organization. But but even the FDNY has to them has the game. You talk about your uh, your training opportunities in your book with your escalators um, and in the firehouse of all your individuals that are you know preparing for that time when there's really not much time to think that you got to react. So let's talk about your perspective on the big game. And uh, maybe you can, you know, fill us in a little bit on that Bronx fire, what uh, you talk about. When I do a class, I'll ask everybody, I said, raise your hand, raise your hand if you've ever had the privilege to rescue somebody at a fire. And roughly 10% of the people raise their hand. And then I ask, who in here has trained on rescuing a civilian or a firefighter. And everybody, always, everybody raises their hand. So 100% of us train for something that only 10% of us will have the privilege to be in that position, to be there on game day, because we don't know when game day is going to be. Unlike sports, where they know when the big game is, we don't know. So we have to maintain that, in, that, that consistent state of readiness. And that's hard. It doesn't matter if you're in the FDNY or anywhere else. Complacency is very difficult to fight back. Go a couple of weeks without going to a fire or or get beat down on a night tour where you you know you've just been you've run on nine uh, medical emergency runs, you know, a couple other car accidents, and now you have uh you 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 know you're tired and now you're going to a phone alarm for a fire and you gotta be ready. And how do you, you know, making sure that you are always prepared, that that constant state of readiness, and that is difficult. And I speak about it in the book of, of different times when I've had people. Um, pointed out to me that I was, you know, where I was being complacent and they didn't point out, I got lucky, right? In the one the one case I was in a building and I, I had no idea how tall the building I was in and the chief asked me, but my my probie, my new firefighter knew. And I returned to him and I'm like, you know, how tall is the building we're in? And he immediately told me five stories, sir. You know, the chief didn't say anything. So I turned to him like, man, you better be right. Right, because I was going to hold him accountable if he didn't know and yet i didn't know and i walk out to the chief's car and i'm, I'm peering up to the building and, and i see it's five stories proby's right and now i start strutting over to the car like a peacock and the, you know chief's waiting for me you know and he tells me he just wants to make sure i'm not being complacent and i'm like my goodness i was being complacent and you know even for me i'm i'm dialed into the job. I absolutely love being a firefighter. I love my firefighters and I take my responsibility to train them and to keep them safe. Incredibly serious um, because I owe it to them and they owe it to me to make sure that they're the best that they can be. So that's a two-way street. You can't just say my firefighters need to be competent and they need to keep training and I don't. No, no, no. I need to keep training too. I need to keep learning. I need to uh, use the term stay learnable. Um, a beginner's mindset where you're open to learning to new ideas. And, that you, you know, I love a day where I learn something new in the fire service. And I literally read or listen to something in the fire service, every, fire service related every day. 
It's the only way you get better is to stay current. Yeah, and and I think that uh, there is something to be said about the uh, the game day. And and every individual in the fire services game day is different. It could be the game day may only come a couple times a year. It could be you know, or it could come once in a in a career. And I and the reason why I say that game day could come a couple times a year or even more or whatever is because even on the simplest of of our bread and butter structure fires where they don't happen that often in, in a lot of departments, um, unless you're in a, you know, and especially even being first due. So just being ready for whatever that, that consideration is of that game day. And so establish those standards and your department should have the standards. But if your department, if you feel your department has lower standards than what your standards are, I think that some firefighters um, do feel that way in the fire service. I think that they get frustrated with that, of that, you know, what's allowed and what's not allowed. And, and um, you know, there's this, standards and so that that oh, so there's so much to unpack in just in, in just those couple of sentences that you just said right so we need standards right um our firefighters want standards right we you can't have a standard that's so low that you're tripping over it like uh, the fire went out so we did good no 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 that ain't a standard especially your high achieving firefighters that are into the job but Show your firefighters you care for them and love them by having a standard and holding them accountable. That's what ensures that they go home. 100%. Yep. Right? They, you know, they don't need you to be – you're a leader. When, when in command, command. If you're a leader, lead. Um, they don't need another firefighter. That's why, you're, that's why you're an officer, whatever position, whatever position it is that you may hold. But, you know, when we talk about game day, right, so – Game day, a structure fire, that's like the World Series, that's the Super Bowl. But guess what? Mrs. Jones is having a heart attack. It's game day for her. Yep. Mr. Jones is in a car accident. It's game day for him, right? And they want us to be ready to perform every single one of those baseball games during the season, right? There's no day off. We got to make sure that we get it right every single game and sprinkled in in the middle of the season, we have the World Series. House fire. Now we have the World Series. Now we're back to regular season. Regular season is all those other runs. Oh, that's right? a great way of putting it. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, well, we don't know, right? So, yeah, and it doesn't matter. Every team, yep. the worst team in the league, the worst firehouse you have is going to go to the World Series. That's right. But are they prepared? I don't know. Maybe not. But they know if they are or not. Afterwards, you know if you did your job. Firefighters always know. You could... Fool the spectators. You can't fool the players. Firefighters know. If I screw up at a fire, I know it. I don't need to be told. I'll be told, but I don't need to be told. But we're going through that. We don't play out the string because it's an emergency for somebody always. Now, if it's an alarm ringing, not a big deal. Dumpster fire, where the, where, where, you know, where, the, where the life has it, right? But all these other things, it's game day for them. It is their World Series. Yeah, but what did they say? Well, you know, one of the things you touch, touched about in your book, too, is that, so, well, hey, Frank, you know, hey, we just sometimes just got to get lucky. You just got lucky on that. Uh, you know, what do you say about luck in the fire service? Well, so I like I like when luck is on our side because, man, far too often luck's not on our side. And we lose somebody or something happens and you're like, what are the chances of that happening? Right. But we have to make sure that we put the odds in our favor. Luck always has a seat at the table, but luck is not a strategy. Luck is not a tactic. I don't want to rely on it. I like when we get it, but that's why it's the procedure that drives the outcome. We're not looking at the outcome and say, well, we got lucky. Well, 
the fire went out. That's not my standard. I look at the procedures to, and then we evaluate the outcome and the procedures and see are our procedures right to get to the desired outcome? Because you could do something that's against our procedures. And I'll use, so in a multiple dwelling that has two stairwells, we'll have one as a tax stair, one as an evacuation stair. And we would never take the roof firefighter and go down that attack stair because that's a chimney. If the door to the fire apartment is open, we could roast a firefighter if they go down that from the roof. But let's say a firefighter goes down that and he gets to the top floor and he rescues a family. And then we send them to Metal Bay and we, we celebrate that. And then the next year it happens again and we're successful. We don't send them to Metal Day, but he does a good job. He does that two, somebody does that two or three more times. The sixth time, the 10th time, the 20th time, somewhere along the line, we do that. The fire door gets opened up and we kill that firefighter. We just, it's because we weren't following our procedures. So that normalization of deviance, right? When we decide that we've been successful on that, that we continue to do it and it becomes, it becomes part of the way of life. And in some cases is celebrated. That's when we get catastrophic results. And we look and we say, and you can see this on, on many, many fatal fire reports, is that we just, that wasn't what we're supposed to do. The book says not to do that. And why does the book say not to do that? Because we know that our books are written in the blood of firefighters. And somewhere along the line, someone got burned doing that. And we put it that way. So now we wouldn't want to do that. But then we normalized it and did it and allowed it. And, and that's where we have to make sure that we are our procedures need to be accurate to what we're doing, and our procedures need to be the same, whether you're A shift, B shift, B, C shift. I hear it often. B shift is the best. They do it different in this regard. Well, no, no, no. We need to have firefighters that are interchangeable. In other words, I could put you, you, and somebody else on the line, and I'm going to get the same results. Whether And then if it was me, him, and you, we would do the same thing because our procedures, everybody's following the same sheet of music, no matter what. If B-shift is doing something different and it's better, well, that needs to be spread throughout the job. And then our procedures need to change because we have to make it where our, our firefighters, we should be able to plug and play them in and that we should be able to get the same results. Now, we know that all firefighters are, are not 100 watt bulbs, that we're not going to have the same the same um, degree of intensity. Some firefighters just get it better. I understand that right into the job more. But our goal must be everybody's trained to the same exact level and that we can interchange them. And that also means that your underperformer, the people I like to call slugs, the guys that or girls that like to ride the couch, no good. When I'm working and we're training, we all train because what happens is these slugs have an oversized impact on the fire ground and we transfer them. We put them elsewhere. We give them, uh, you know, less important positions, whatever it is. But boy, it seems to, when you talk to people in different departments that have had close calls or line of duty deaths, this, this it's always attributable to a couple of different things that happen on a fire ground. And so often, the member that gets killed is someone that you find out he was an instructor in three different academies. He's been he's a volunteer. He's a career firefighter. On his days off, he does, you know, he's he's doing all this other stuff related to the fire. And you're like, how did this individual that is so good that is so into his training get killed at the fire on a fire ground? Well, because we rely so much on the team that when we have a weak member of the team, one person who's not trained, who we just say, yeah, he's untrainable. Um, well, that person ha can have an oversized impact on a fire ground. 
And that person can lead to the death of firefighters, no matter how well-trained they are. Well-trained firefighters save slugs every day. Their ability to operate proficiently makes up for them slugs and makes it where those slugs stay alive. But they reciprocate. And I would say no, largely because we allow we allow underperformers to be underperformers. And that simply should never be allowed. We need to make sure that you're getting the training equal to the other guy that's getting the training, the other girl that's getting the training, that everybody is interchangeable to the degree that we can. And I don't care if you're here just for the paycheck, but you're going to you're going to earn your paycheck and you're going to know how to do your job because everybody knowing their job keeps everybody alive. It is. I said in the FDNY, our procedures. Are written for the t- it's a team concept, the team sport with individuals expected to carry out and execute assignments as part of the team. And when you don't and when you fail. That's when catastrophic results occur, and that could be simply not coordinating ventilation with suppression. A, a firefighter takes a, a window on the that they shouldn't have. They cut the roof before they should have. The hose line wasn't bled out properly. So now we don't have proper pressure on the line and we're ready to go. And you're not. A member doesn't put his hood on. Someone forgets the thermal imaging count. All these things, right? The, the Swiss cheese lines up, and that's when we wind up with, again, and why we get these catastrophic results. But we must make sure that everybody is training, that it doesn't matter. We can't just say, write somebody off and say, He's not going to train or she's not going to train. No, because that person has the impact, has the ability where other firefighters won't live because of their action. And again, just look at how many high achieving firefighters wind up getting killed. And that's why it's so important about the standard, too, is because they will train, but they have to have a standard to train to. We can't we can't lower the standard for the individuals that don't want to train. that don't want to be that want to be complacent. That's why the standard has to be maintained at the fire department and that everybody is training. The entire department as a is training to one set direction at this set standard. Now, I, I like to talk about it a lot is that every every training that uh, we do as a department needs to have, you got to have a lesson plan. You got to have JPRs. You got to have things that people are working towards of what it is. It's got to be organized, you know. All these train uh, all these these aspects of the of the training chief that you know puts in the efforts to be able to make sure it's a good quality training for the individuals. And what I it would explain a lot is that, you know, there there we don't expect that if it's new something new that's happening or um, you know, just because the the rep it, the, the reps the how many reps you get uh, you may not get it right the first time but you got to try and you got to continue to try and you got to eventually get it right we're coaching you up because the standard's not lower lowering to you to not be able to put in the work to be able to get to where it's at it's all about technique base it's all about putting in the efforts to be able to get there so i think it just it, it really kind of comes back to this entire what your organization is as a standard and and i and i want to just touch i just want to ask you uh, about fd and why i mean you have 17,000 employees i i couldn't imagine how many runs and how many stations that goes you know that you guys go uh to per year but how does the training happen on a regular basis? And what we would know in, in Ohio is maybe our, um, you know, daily trainings or department-wide trainings or things like that. How is that accomplished in, in New York to ensure that, you know, New York City fire departments have a standard and that every firefighter is getting the equal opportunity to maintain that standard? Yes, that's a great question. It's part of the organizational DNA, right? It's ingrained in the very culture of the FDNY. And that starts at the beginning of, of uh, at the top of the job, and it goes back for, for generations. So 
um, in training, we could pull 20 companies a day out of, out of service for training, education day, and different things like that. And we do. We commonly do that. So training is happening in an organized fashion from the job, whether they're coming to the fire academy, whether they're going to education day, which is a day of, uh, where they, they, their company will be shut down for the day and they go for the whole day. But we also expect our firefighters um, under the supervision of the officer to train for at least an hour every day. Now, that could come on a run. That could come out when you're out. That could be organized. We have lots of different material that we give them that we put out um, through through training, through our learning management uh, system. We have remote tactical training. There's so many different avenues that we help facilitate the training um, when necessary. And that's really important. And when you look at the training and how it's part of our culture, well, yeah, you have to look at the training lineage. And you think about, like, who in your organization – took training serious, who mentored you, right? And you start to build out, if you can put this on ancestry, right? You could build out this whole this whole family tree, this whole interconnected web, and you'd see, well, well uh, I was recently having this conversation with Tom Richardson, who was our retired chief of department. And um, I told him, I said, when you formed Squad 270, he, he chose me as one of his firefighters in that company. And I recently asked him, how'd you pick the firefighters? And he said, well, I wanted guys that I knew had heart. I wanted firefighters that I knew had heart I could, and I could teach them anything. I said, well, like, where'd you learn that? Where, who was your mentor? And he, he says, uh, John Vigiano. And I'm like, that's not a surprise. John Vigiano, you know, was a highly decorated, legendary in the FDNY, just an amazing individual. And then it made me think, well, who was John Vigiano's mentor? And then you think about all these different lines and people that, like, all these connect connections that you have. So, um, and at some point, you could probably trace this all the way back to Ben Franklin when the American Fire Service started, right? So we're descendants of Ben Franklin in some way, right, on a training lineage. And then you think about people that go out and teach. And people, I look at Vinnie Dunn, who wrote Collapse of Burning Buildings. Every single FDNY member since he wrote that book is a child, a training child of him, because we were, that's required reading for, for the FDNY, especially for someone who takes the lieutenant's test. And then you think about all these different nodes that go off of that. So you go and you listen to somebody speak. You listen to this podcast and suddenly you have a line. You have a training lineage line to me, to you, to others. And you start to realize how interconnected the whole fire service is. And slugs are not really part of that lineage. That they, that kills the branch. So that kills culture when you have too many of those slugs. So you need enough people continuing to have children, training children, not actual children, right? Yeah, yeah. Not telling everybody to go out and have more children, but but everybody have as many children as you can that are descendants of you from a training standpoint, because that is the quickest way that you can organically make the culture of your department, of your organization, a training centric department that before long, that's just the norm. That's what you do. And you think about all these. And I wish that I think about my sister does the whole family tree for my family. And like she's got generations and generations. And I wish we could go back and fill out generations ago of who the trainings are. And I think about different people that I've listened to, um, uh, podcasts I've listened to, or I go to FDIC or Firehouse and I sit in on different classes. And once you do that, you have a training lineage to that person. And there's people that have millions of children and stepchildren and cousins and that that have uh, and the more times that you connect 
the more classes you've listened to. I, I read five articles of that guy, whatever, right? And it becomes a, a, just an interconnected fabric that goes far outside the United States. And the more fabric nodes that we have, the less, the more we learn from each other, the less likely we are to have a similar close call or a fatal fire in our area because we've learned lessons from elsewhere, that we're not an insular department. We're certainly not an insular department in the FDNY, and even in my volunteer department, we're not. But you need to send people to these conferences. You need to get other viewpoints in, and from others to make it where that, that fabric is really helping you out. So that training lineage, when we say we stand on the shoulders of the giants that came before us, that is so true. And nobody says, yeah, you know the guy that I wanted to be like? He's that slug that he worked Sunday and all he did was watch football all day. Right. No one wants to be that guy. That guy kills, kills the web, kills the tree and puts holes in it. It's our job to patch those up and make sure that we, we do that. And anybody listening, I would say that anybody that reads your book, anybody that reads, a, you know, a fire service article, listens to a podcast, any of those individuals are engaged. They want to be better. They want to do better. Um, and they are probably listening right now thinking, you know, they already have the top five. These are the five individuals that had a huge impact in my life and why they were right there. You know, I could think of them just when you were explaining that. I was going through my head. It was, it's why we sit here today. I mean, it's why I got so involved in the Ohio Fire Chief association as part of the foundation and the education committee was because back in 2015 when i first attended the conference i had not only you know gordon graham there that had a huge impact on on uh, on my my fire service career as a new fire chief but then all these different breakout sessions that you have and these individuals and then you continue to go over and over again and you you know you start you begin to notice that you you hear the common names or you know you hear the repeat names and um, of individuals that are they're making their way and they're they're getting their message out there and and I couldn't be uh, I couldn't be more um, you know more excited in the fact that you know the fire service is the way it is is because of that lineage that we all have so many interconnections and we can learn so much from each other just as how we're doing right here today so many people are going to learn from your message on this podcast it doesn't necessarily have to be of just trying to get education in, in different ways to individuals and those are the dialed in, right? So people that listen to a podcast, they're the dialed in, right? They're the chosen ones yep. to go back and 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 spread the message and talk about the message and 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 inspire and engage as many other people as you can for them to have the same uh, the same motivation to to be enthusiastic and 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 care about it because the repercussions are, are too great. They're too great in our profession. And it's like Gordon Graham. He's, he's got millions of children. Right. Billy Goldfeder, millions of children. Like there's so many people that we think about this and, you know, and then you're descending off of them. It's just it, it just goes on and on. And and then think about. So when ask when you think about your go ask your mentor, who is their mentor? And and you'll be like <laughs> that figures because you're you, you know, your mentor is going to be someone that's really good tactically, really good the full package and then so is their person it's not going to be a slug you'll see no slugs in that can in that training lineage that keeps going there's no slugs allowed in there because slugs kill the branch well um yeah they do they do they they really do and you know and it's 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 so crazy like sometimes i i think that even and there's there's times that firefighters kind of fall in these you know this ebb and flow you know and you know there's a that that 
what what is you you start out really really motivated and then there's something that happens and then you're not no, necessarily so motivated and then you have that humbling experience where that that time then you had to turn around and ask your probie hey how many stories is this building boom that's a humbling experience like okay now it's a whole different perspective i may may change my viewpoint on it or it may be that run that somebody else has gone on it just humbles them to realize and then boom now that's it once they have that humbling experience i don't think that once they feel like they're not god's gift of firefighting and that they can ride that they can fly the recliner seat on sundays all day or fly the recliner seat for however long then once they realize that that it is bigger than just themselves it is it is about the highly trained firefighter that found themselves in trouble but didn't have anybody else to back them up there's not being reciprocated for that same individual and so that's where this kind of leads us into this next part of your book uh where it's teamwork and that it's all about the team in order to execute it's all about the team we don't do anything in the fire we we don't do anything in the fire service by ourselves so um give us some advice on on uh what you say you know give us some advice on how to build trust and and maybe a company that is is struggling to find that common ground of you know friendship teamwork brotherhood sisterhood you know that sort of thing yeah so again starts with competency right so no one's going to trust anybody that's not competent so you have that competency um a steady hand steady leadership matters um you know you you like to know what's coming you know when what type of what type of tour you're going to have depending on who the leader is um i think that's important let your people know you care for them i think that's important too um Doing things outside of the firehouse is important. Um, bringing bringing your your firefighters together in, in you know uh, going out to going out to dinner, going to a ball game, whatever it is, right? I think getting to getting to know your people, I think, is uh, very important. And uh, you know, it's it's all about teamwork, right? I mean, you think about um, you know in the, the the baseball playoffs just ended, and you think about the starting pitches that that were that served, you know, selflessly, and they they came in out of the bullpen on two days rest because it's about getting it done, and that teamwork and, and knowing that in the fourth quarter of a football game, and you you it's you know it's hot and you're tired and you got to find that ability to rally around your teammates and show that that it matters and for the for the leader to be in the trenches and show that um, that that it matters and to not have your firefighters do anything. Um, you know, everything I do, everything that I have my firefighters do, I, I would do myself. And in many cases, I have done that. Um, I think that's that's important. You know, lead from lead from the front. These are, I think you make this a good, is how you get that trust. I do think you make a good point. I think the uh, that's why why I, I also believe why training comes first and then teamwork because uh, the teamwork is kind of in in my eyes developed from from the training ground. You know, you, you may not, you, you may not need to go out, hang out, you know, at each other's houses or go do things to the, you know, the potluck or whatever, but it's, it's, it's about, you know, these, um, you know, I, I want to say the glass relationships that you build around uh, the uh, kitchen table. The firehouse kitchen table has a lot of conversation that goes on and you may have the, the loudest talker on there and everybody this and that, but where the true relationships and the true teams are built 
I truly believe are on the fire training ground where we are in it. We are in the trenches together, at least there. And then what, when, especially when it's applied out on the actual fire ground is that where, you know, I prove to you, you prove to me type of thing. That's where we really, really seal the deal. But, but I believe it starts in that, in that training where go prior to that cause, it was, we're preparing for the game that when we're both going to the game, I can look next to, I can look over and be like, yep, I, no matter what happens, we're in good hands, you know, and that that's, I think, where the team has to start. You're 100% right. And one of the first days of Proby School, one of the things we do is called Motivation Alley. And what we do is we take an inch and three-quarter line, and then we take a two-and-a-half-inch line, and the firefighters have to get on that line. And at first, they try and advance the line by themselves, and they're unable to. And then we want them to form that teamwork right away. And then they realize, and they're sitting in a rooting for each other, and they get on the hose line and they start advancing the hose line. And when I was the chief of the fire academy, um, one of the times I went and I put my gear on. And without them even knowing, I just went and I got on the hose line with our newest fighter. They have no idea who I am. They had no idea I was even on the line. And we just kept pushing and I'm cheering them on. And everybody's cheering them on. And it's just being part of that, right? And you think about, like, that's what it's about, right? Is that the collectively, we we are so much better when when we are operating as a team and and knowing that right so when one of us succeeds we all succeed because we are all part of that team and for us we even celebrate that when we celebrate medal day right so our medal day celebrates an individual action of a firefighter but the whole company comes because nobody operates alone a firefighter who's off duty who's who rescues a baby from a fire he didn't do it alone somebody taught him there's a whole there's a whole group of people that stand behind him his or her family stands behind everybody there's a whole group so it's never even though we celebrate the individual we robustly celebrate as a department the chiefs show up it's rare all of our staff chiefs show up it's rare that they don't show up to these events because it's when one of us succeeds we all succeed because we understand that teamwork is part of our you know, it's part of our DNA. And in the FDNY and even in East Farmingdale, we play to win on every day, every run, every time out the door. Losing is simply not an option. Um, and I would say that should be that should be the goal of every department. That should be your mantra. We play to win on every run, every time. Who doesn't? Yeah, who doesn't? I know. I, I right. Who I, comes to work and says, "Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be okay with failure today." I don't, I don't no even go to doing. the church volleyball league and want to not win. You know, I mean, we we're firefighters. We're Type A That's, personalities. Yeah. We want to win at everything we want to everything we do. So when we show up. You know, it's 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 game time, and it's it's uh, put it all put it all out there. And you want to be able to make sure you have the team the teammates to do it. And, and it's no different. I, I know you guys in in uh, New York had you know the different uh, softball teams or baseball teams or you know so on and so forth and it's no different than here we have a we have a softball team and you know we we played the cops this last year and uh played them twice but we played the first time we played them for the trophy we won and that was you know that that's it's those types of things that also in addition to the fire ground and these extracurriculars that we do together i think builds that family builds that teamwork and and then you begin to have fun and you begin to you know uh start to really in, encompass the reasons of why we're here and and what what drew us to the fire service in the first place? Yeah, and those are great opportunities for the firefighters to come out, right, and support one another and be there. And the way we celebrate our medal day, the whole company comes out, families could come out, like, right? and it's just you know we're a family, right? And it's 
it's part of our that's part of our DNA. That's part of our culture as well. Right. We have a, you know, uh, a family culture. We have a search culture. We have an extinguishment culture. We have a training culture. You know, we have a safety culture. These are and they all they all mesh together, you know, for the FDNY way. Now, we talked a little bit about, uh, we'll, we'll kind of uh, keep it going. We talked a little bit about mentorship already. Um, and I think that we've already had the audience kind of maybe thinking about who their mentors were in there. So, um, but but one thing is, is maybe like at some point in our careers, we became the mentor to others. And um, I don't know when that happens. I, I, I still think that, uh, you know, at least in, in, in my eyes, if, if somebody views me as a mentor, I feel like I'm just still kind of doing my thing. You know, I don't really, you don't maybe necessarily realize that you're a mentor. And, um, and so is there any advice about if you ever become a mentor um, or like, you know, let's talk about that. That's a great question. Yeah. So mentorship happens organically. Right. So there's times where you're assigned a mentor, but someone when you come into the fire service and you connect with somebody and you're like, oh, I want to be like that person or they just that, that's that's the message I want. Right. And that works really well. But I would say the fact that you're not sure when you became a mentor, that's great, because I'll tell you when the first day you came on the fire department, you became a mentor to somebody. And um, I learned from some of my young firefighters to this day. Now, would I call them a mentor? Maybe not, but but I have that beginner's mindset where I'm willing to learn from them. So they are mentoring people. So you could mentor up and down. You know, rank doesn't matter, right? Color your helmet doesn't matter. Um, that that learning, that cross-pollinization from different members of the organization, especially my young firefighters teach me about technology all the time, right? I mean, that's that's a beautiful part of it. But um, I think when the, when the mentorship becomes happens organically i think that is uh, critically important you reached another stage when that happens um and i don't know when when i became a mentor i don't know if i ever officially became a mentor but um but i know i, I love it when people tell me like man i've been a, you've I, i've been reading your stuff for 10 years and you've been a mentor to me even when they're not in my department and i think like that is so cool and so humbling at the fire academy i would see i loved when i would see my instructors would be there and they would do three or four classes because you have to do at least three. And they'd be teaching a class and a firefighter that they taught two years ago comes back. Or maybe they, they come back occasionally or you see a reunion and they're like, I can't believe you're, you know, I, you, I learned so much from you. And, and they, they're letting them know that it's a mentor and they hug each other. It's just, you know, like the, the, the impact that you can have really just being positive. Right. I mean, I've always been positive in my career. I don't know any other way. Um, and I've had firefighters come up to me and they said, yeah, I was in your company for a little while and I was struggling, but you were always there for me. I'm like, that's the brotherhood, the sisterhood. Right. That's what, like, why would we not be there for one another? So, you know, well, it's that mindset. Right. It is. I have this. I'm going to reach over here. I have this sign in my in my office. It says, uh, um Attitude is a little thing that makes a big difference. And, and I, I, I put this in my office for every firefighter, anybody to see on a regular basis, because I think it's like that our attitude is 100% the thing that we're in control of every day. So when you talk about being positive, it's, it's uh, contagious. Your, your attitude is contagious. You come in and you're negative, negative Nancy. You, you know, you're the, the guy that's complaining all the time. You might have a little bit of an audience for, for a little while, but eventually some of those people around you're going to be getting really tired of that because they realize, 
Why am I so stressed out? Why? Like we have the best job in the world because back to our volunteer days when I talked about, I was a contractor doing concrete work and working in all the elements of the weather and things of that. Not to mention we do work in all the elements of the weather in the fire service, but it is a quite a, a completely different, uh, you know, career than it is doing concrete or framing houses and that sort of thing, because you don't necessarily have the brotherhood, the teamwork, the being a part of something bigger than yourself. And it's all about like why we wouldn't be positive. Cause I don't know any other way either. High energy that's contagious too. And people want to be around that more than they want to be around the negativity. It is a privilege to serve. It is a privilege to do what we do. I couldn't imagine doing anything else. I absolutely love what I do. I love being a volunteer firefighter. I love being a career firefighter. People say, what do you like to do for a hobby? And I'm like, well, you know, I used to say, I, I don't know. I like to golf. I like to, you know, fish, I, you know, whatever, but I like to travel and I, I like being around firefighters. So now I'm able to combine them a lot of times and go, go teach somewhere or go speak somewhere. And it's, you know, um, I'm at the stage in my life where most of the time I can bring my wife with me. I, or, you know, we got a, a work-life balance or at least um, most of the time she likes to, to come along with me and it's, and it's great. So I'm not spending more time away from her. So it's, you know, it's, we got to make sure all of these things matter. Right. But, uh, you know, everything in, everything in balance, everything in moderation and stay positive because, you know, you want to kill your department's culture, be, be negative. Nobody wants to hear from a negative leader, especially a leader, right? You got to be there for your firefighters, listen to them, because they're going to come in and just like you're going to come in sometimes and you're having a bad day, right? Something's not going right at home. You just got bad news or someone, you know, isn't doing well, you know, with poor health, whatever it is, right? We all come in and, you know, be mindful that everybody is, you know, others are fighting battles that you don't know what's going on. And the more, you know, your firefighters, the more you know about them, the more you could connect them and be there for them, the better it is for everybody. Right. And, you know, listen, it's like the golden rule, right? Be, be nice. Yeah. Right. Treat people the way you want to be treated. That's, that's it. It's pretty easy, but not always, not, not easy for everybody. Right. Yeah. I know. know, It's it's, it's just mind blowing sometimes of how it's not. Um, but uh, I want to talk about, uh, let's, let's talk about some different other hot topics. You know, I mean, we, we, we covered a lot of the book, which I, I couldn't thank you more for it. Um, excellent book. And if for any of the audience members, if you have not got the cornerstone, the cornerstones to leadership uh, by uh, Chief Frank Lieb here, uh, definitely you're going to want to reach out. You're want to get a get get your hands on that book because um, you know it is it is uh, very well written, a lot of good takeaways, and and maybe it's that thing that you know I like to explain to a lot of firefighters all the time is that maybe this is that one thing that takes you from thinking all the time that the grass is always greener on the other side because I I think firefighters fall in this trap of being negative where then it's just better somewhere else. It's just better somewhere else. I'll go to this other fire department. The grass is not always greener on the other side. So uh, maybe this book helps you water your own lawn gives you a different perspective, creates your own new way and gives you that reassurance or, you know, re-energizes you in the, in the fire service. So um, as we switch gears a little bit, I want to talk just a little bit about some, you know, tactics. I, I love fire tactics. I know you love fire tactics, but just, I, I came across an article you had wrote about EV vehicles and, um, and other things that you, you kind of, you, you talk about a little bit. And I know that EV in itself um, has, has some, you know, it's kind of, you know, still kind of up in the air for a lot of different fire departments. So any, any, uh, you know, things that you'd like to, to share about just EV fires, um, what to look for, what are these young firefighters? Cause we don't know, you don't know. So uh, maybe we just give them a couple nuggets. 
You certainly don't know what you don't know. I, 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 that's one of my one of my mantras for sure. But I want to tie up one of the things you just uh, you just said as well, right? You you're spewing out all these all these golden nuggets. And I'm trying to mine them all, and um, so you you said um, uh, you know water your own lawn and and for firefighters. So firefighters um, leave fire department so you have to pay if it's if you're a career department right you got to pay your firefighters a, a living wage but but people leave volunteer departments and 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 career departments largely because poor leadership that doesn't care for them and they don't train now some career firefighters they want to go to a bigger department right and no matter what they're going to think that grass is greener but when you ask firefighters and i ask firefighters all the time why you left because they'll be like i'm in my third department and why well, why'd you leave because they don't train they don't send me to training. They don't value. And then, I'll, you know, I'll hear from people in those departments that have become feeder departments for larger departments. And I understand the frustration. But um, and they'll say, well, I don't know if I'm training um, because if I train them, they're going to leave. I said, but if they don't, they're going to stay. If you don't train them, they're going to stay. Now you're going to have incompetent firefighters. So train your firefighters. And if they go on to bigger departments, that's OK. Um, just keep. But you have to make sure that you are training your firefighters because a lot of them will stay if you offer them opportunity to train, because that's what they want. They want to know that leadership cares and that they offer them to be, that that there's an opportunity for them to be better. It's remarkable how often I hear that. So EV fires. I'm, and you know, before you start, I'm, I get like that sometimes. And I don't know why, like I, I get on this little rampage and then I know like on the other person that's listening is like, I'm, I'm, I'm saying all these different things. I probably asked 17 different questions. I don't realize it. And then I skip to another topic. So I do apologize. That is like my, that's. And they're all good things, right? They're all things I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute. That's a golden nugget. Uh, Like I can't let that. I can't go downstream. I got to catch that. So I appreciate you coming back. It's so important. And. You know, we spend so much time, we spend so much time um, being brilliant at the basics. And that's important, right? That's what keeps us alive on a fire ground. But these soft skills, these how to treat people, that's what gets us in trouble, right? Even legally, that's what gets us in trouble. Kurt Verone, the, the, the firehouse you know, uh, attorney who writes all the time, I, I was with him at Firehouse Expo and he said 80%, roughly 80% of the litigation in the fire service is about the soft skills. And I go and teach departments about soft skill leadership. I have a one day class that I teach with that. And a lot of it is based, uh, I'm actually making it now where it's going to be based on, on the, on the book itself, but it's all those, those little things, right? Those, those little tactical nuances of soft skills, right? So there's tactical nuances of the hard skills that we have to be good at, but we also have to be good. The best leaders are good at both and they connect them, but we spend so much time, you know, it's like I go to the gym and I spend time just on my arms, right? And you have, you know, you have big arms and everything else is small, right? It's, so that's how we wind up with with, um, um, with this. But and it's understandable because we have to be brilliant at the basics because that's what keeps us alive. But at some point, we got to pay attention to those other skills, too, because that's what keeps us alive as a fire department, as a thriving and healthy uh, department. And I think that so uh, I think we I think we got I think we mined all that gold. Now. Yes, so, we, yeah, so I appreciate <laughs> that. Thank you for circling back. So I do appreciate that. Um, you know, so okay, now we're now we're on to the EVs, right? So yeah, so I think so. So so when we talk about um, lithium-ion batteries um, in New York City, we have not seen a problem with cars 
yeah, with, with uh, EVs and vehicles. Where we've seen a problem is with our micro mobility devices, which is what we consider our e-bikes and our scooters. Um, and those fires we have um, almost every day in New York City involving one. Now, involving one doesn't mean it was started by it. It means that it was on fire in some degree. But when you think about that, there's so many different things that are powered by lithium ion batteries that we could have involvement in these and not even know it. But if we have one of these micro mobility devices, there's a couple of things that we absolutely need to know. First off, our initial tactics are gonna be the same. We don't know that one is involved, but we need to assume that it is. It's important to have your SCBA on and all your equipment on. So no deviation from what we do then. Now we determine that it was on fire. Now we have to make sure that we account for the little cells. So the cells is roughly 120 of them or more in one of these little batteries, in one of these scooters. And they're encased in plastic and they blow apart. And when they blow apart, they scatter. So we have to make sure that we account for those little ones. And they look well, they look like little double A batteries. So we count for them. We don't want to pick them up on a hand, use a shovel or a tool um, and put them in a five gallon pail of water, put them in a tub, put them in a, a sink somewhere. And then we account for them prior to pulling all the sheetrock down and making it where it's impossible to find them. Now we're going to collect some of the ones that are going to be spent. And there's a little tab on it. You can tell if they're spent, but we're not, we're not going to, that's not our job. We're just going to collect as many as we can and minimize the chance of, a, of this uh, fire beginning again in one of these compromised batteries. That is what we're really looking to do. And then get them out of the building. Don't, 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 uh, don't, don't throw them out of the window. Don't put them in an elevator. Um, don't handle them with your bare hands. Make sure you have your CBA on. If we can, we overpack them and then we leave them. But we have, you know, our population density um, demands that we do something with that. So whatever your plan is, if you if you're only putting them in water, that works. But we want to make sure that we are um, accounting for the batteries to the degree that we can. And the energy in them, um, typically we're seeing them more often when it's not an approved battery charger. Um, so in other words, it doesn't have the UL label. Uh, or they're misusing the battery from its intended purpose. That seems to be the, the biggest culprits. And the reaction you get from a battery is significantly more when it has more stranded energy, because that's what this is about. It's stranded energy in the battery. So if you light a battery on fire that's, that's dead, it doesn't have any charge, it's not going to have the same violent reaction that a fully charged battery would have. So the more charge it has, the more violent the reaction is going to be. So a battery that's been on charge all night and reaches failure point is going to create quite a fireworks show. And we've seen that when we demonstrated it. Um, when I was at training, we would light batteries on fire for demonstrations quite often. And we were able to, to see what that would what that would look like. So that's that's it in a nutshell. But it's really a lot of it is doing our tactics that we are doing and, and the importance of wearing your SCBA because we still don't know the composition of the smoke or the contamination that we are um, getting from them batteries okay so are you talking now would these be are you experiencing a lot from the e-bikes is that where or what what uh what what major batteries they are and then that's one question then the second question is you know when you talk about these accounting for these cells maybe 120 of them or so on like how far do they go um is there yeah so if they're indoors if they're indoors they stay within that room but ul has done some some studies where uh, it blows out the windows 
you know, so it almost looks like an explosion. When we did them at the fire academy, so we were getting prepared. We wanted to see how the demonstration would go when we had 300 people there. So we lit it, and these batteries traveled a couple hundred feet. We had to make a cage for the demonstration because it would be bad for business if we, if we injured somebody from a battery ex- that we intentionally exploded. Um, but so there's a difference when they're indoors or when they're out outdoors. So, um, but again, the initial firefighting tactics uh, are, are the same, and accounting for them could be could be difficult. And we've had it where, uh, you know, more than 24 hours later that we've had fires, um, you know, from these batteries that were that were damaged. Because the cell is then found somewhere else, and that's why it's so important to submerge that cell, find the cell, and then submerge it in a bucket. Find the cell, submerge the f- cell, and then at least and get it out of the dwelling, and then we're making it at least better. But, you know, these aftermarket batteries, I mean, I think about a couple of years ago, my laptop computer, um, I have a Dell laptop computer. It needed a new battery. And I went online and I saw that there was a battery that I could buy for um, for $100 and one I could buy for $20. And I bought the $20. So it worked, but it wasn't an approved battery. So there I was. I should know better, but I wanted to save the 80 bucks. And that's what we see is that people want to save money, it, especially when the e-mobility devices, these have given people um, that don't make a lot of money, the ability to have transportation devices at a very reasonable price. Um, and sometimes they're making these decisions on whether I put food on the table or I buy, or I buy a, a legitimate replacement battery. And those are hard decisions. And again, I made the decision and just said the battery worked. And it did. It worked. It worked until my computer died. But so if I'm making those, you know, the decision to buy the cheap one, I certainly can understand why others would, especially when you know, they could use those extra $80 for a lot of other things. So I understand that. So we got to educate. We got to figure out how to how to best solve this problem uh, because the genie's out of the bottle. Th- these are going to be around for a long time. And then it's not only this, but what's the next technology that's over the horizon? There's always something, right? Energy storage system, lithium-ion battery, tall timber. It's, it's like, it's always something, right? And then you go back, energy, energy-efficient windows and the, the synthetics that are burning, there's always something that the fire department has to adjust to. But I think technology, the fear is that technology is starting to outstrip our ability to adequately protect it. Um, and I don't know if I've ever seen that in our profession, right? We've had to adjust to the modern fire environment. We've had to adjust to a lot of other things, but I, this seems different. And our ability to continue to protect um, everybody to um technology and what's coming what's you know what's the next great thing two years from now um and what is our ability to keep up with that because we wind up being reactionary because we don't always have a seat at the table when they're developing these new technologies very true and i think that's a that's a challenge moving forward for for our generation and and our newest generation yeah that's very next challenge well, um, I know that uh, we talked about a lot of things today, and I, I know that uh, not only the Ohio Fire Chiefs Association, but myself, uh, do really appreciate your time today, uh, Chief Lieb. I mean, uh, you know, the book is great. Uh, I, can't, I can't stress that enough, you know. And then the keynote, if you haven't seen the keynote from the Fire Expo 2022, uh, get on YouTube and watch it uh, for anybody that's listening because uh, that, uh, that'll kind of give you that summary and then, and then really, you know, solidify it when you get that book and then you have the 127 takeaways afterwards. And, and it's always something, it's a reference material all the time to go back and just kind of re-energize you for your fire service career. So um, really appreciate all your time today. I think that I just wanted to at least 
least be able to throw in one little nugget of tactic stuff because I know that, uh, you know, we get all the soft <laughs> skills, but you got to talk, you know, as firefighters, we want to talk about that too. So, um, you always got to sprinkle in the M&Ms, right? Yes. The M&Ms are, are the tactics, right? So, um, when we talk about trail, we're having trail mix, but we got to talk about some, we got to sprinkle in the M&Ms, the tactics of the M&Ms. So yeah. there's no doubt about that. Yes, for sure. <laughs> couldn't couldn't have said it any better. So, all right. Well, I do appreciate all your time, and um, you know, thanks again, and and uh, I look forward to uh, hopefully uh, you know staying in touch and and running into you someday because I I do need your signature on my book. Absolutely, my brother. I look forward to to seeing you again, and and yeah, it'd be great. All right. Thanks for having me. Yep, you're welcome. You take care. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to the Triple P Podcast, premier, professional, and proactive, brought to you by the Ohio Fire Chiefs Association. If you'd like to hear more, follow us on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you feel so inclined, please help us spread the word by telling your fire and EMS friends about this channel.